Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Welcome along to day three of the French Open, the third day in a row where Matt Roberts and myself, Catherine Rittiger, find ourselves in the media restaurant. It's sort of become our spiritual home from home. It's Paris's Putney Exchange. And it's new and improved this time because we have cheese and we have meat. Cheese, meat and cornichon and an industrial quantity of butter, which is how they serve their cheese meat and cornichon here in Paris I mean I'm not complaining it's all absolutely fine I wouldn't mind a sort of utensil with which to distribute the butter but apart from that all good I love a vinegary cornichon it's like that Andy Murray line isn't it how do you eat your strawberries everyone says with cream and Murray says with my fingers and we are apparently supposed to be spreading the butter with our fingers did Andy Murray actually say that? Yeah, there's a there's a great. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a Wimbledon, you know, one of these promo things, and they ask all the all these players, "How do you like your strawberries?" And they all they all say with cream, and then Murray just goes, uh, "With my fingers." <laughs> <laughs> well, that I mean, we are very much in the spirit of that. We're eating meat, cheese, butter. Uh, and pickled vegetables with our fingers, and it's great. It is. And we have um, an interesting day of tennis to dissect. It's not quite over yet because Gail Monfils took to the Philippe Chatteret court about four minutes ago. I mean, what time is it now, Matt? It's 8pm, 8.15pm in the UK. I do wonder if he was given the option, he and his opponent were given the option to, to switch to Suzanne Longland court, which finished hours ago, and Gail said, no thanks well yeah Gail is the kind of person who would prefer the spotlight and the stage of being on last on Chetre to thinking ahead and actually thinking what would be sensible for his tournament and wanting to play on get his match done on another court he is in a hurry though it's 5 love 40 15 so oh. maybe it was the right decision after all but uh, it certainly is a twilight zone match for Gail Morfis and, and that is because play has gone so slowly on Philippe Chatrier today not least because uh, Alexander Zverev took about seven hours longer than he ought to have done to battle past John Millman in five sets in the first match of the day out there. But also 
because, well, Simona Hallett, defending champion, got involved in a, a three-setter. But I think we want to talk, first of all, Matt, about the world number one, Naomi Osaka, who came out onto Philippe Chatrier, her first ever match on that court, her first ever time playing a Grand Slam as a world number one. And she loses the first set, six love, to, albeit, a tough first-round opponent, particularly on clay, Anna-Karolina Schmiedlova. And it wasn't a six-love set that was less one-sided than it sounds. It was a six-love set that was an absolute demolition job. She could barely find the strings. She looked flat. She looked listless. She looked so far away (laughs) from winning a tennis match. It's untrue, and yet... She fought back. She twice had to break back to prevent Schmiedlover serving out the match. She took it to a second break, the second set tie break, and she eventually won through in a in a fairly one sided third set. But it wasn't a match which had the feel of oh, this Osaka will will definitely make it through one way or another. It absolutely felt like she was going out for a big portion of that match. She was on the brink multiple times. And I've just been in her press conference and the first line of her press conference, which are always an education. You always learn so much about Naomi Osaka and her thought processes and what she's feeling. And the first line was, that was the most nervous I've ever been in my life. Just, she just came out straight away with that candor, and which is extraordinary considering this is a woman who has played Grand Slam finals. And yet, it was the French Open round one, which was her most nervous experience. And she was asked why. She's, and she, she's never done a university French oral, has she, Matt? And that is a very good point, yes. <laughs> I was just having the thought process of, what's the most nervous I've ever been in my life? Anyway, I digress. And It's giving me chills just thinking about it. Yeah, Carry on, too. Matt. Tennis. And, and she said, I could give you logical reasons. The fact that it was all the reasons you've just listed her first match on Chetray, number one at a slam for the first time the fact she's won the last two and she really 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 does want to win this one and yet she said I'm not a logical person I can't explain it in those terms I just was um, but the thing that struck me most about watching Osaka today was how badly she played in that first set and yet I still think we saw the reason why she is so special and so good because at her lowest ebb, she found strength and she was 4-5 down in the second set. Schmiedlova was about to serve for the match. She was head in her towel at the change of ends. and She did an, an ironic thumbs up to her box. Andy Murray-esque. Andy Murray-style, sarcastic box yeah, um, uh, <laughs> d- demonstration, uh, demonstration. Look at what I'm doing here. Isn't this isn't this terrible? Was was how she explained that. And yet, at that moment, she then came out and played her best game of the whole match to break back. She then handed it straight back with more errors, and then she did the same thing again and broke back, playing really well. I I find it incredible the way she's able to find that strength and we saw it in the Australian Open final when she played Petra Kvitova when she was sobbing into you know she went off the court I think didn't she when she lost that second set in the final and then she came out and played an amazing third set it's an incredible quality that she has and it wasn't a it it really was uh, tennis wise a, a poor performance a poor performance I mean she found what she needed to at the back end of the second and uh, and in the third and, and she had broken the spirit I think of Shmilova 
by that point. But tennis-wise, a pretty poor performance. I was sort of looking at her thinking, she's still not nailed the sliding. I mean, she was doing a little bit of it. Um, she, I thought she was better at it backwards and forwards than, than the lateral sliding movement. But, I mean, it's clear she's she's not spent a lot of time on the surface. And yet I came away from that match thinking, well, Naomi Osaka might win the French Open. I really now feel like she plausibly could win the French Open. I completely agree. She she does have a tough draw. Azarenka next, possibly Sakari, before we're even talking about the second week. Sakari, I think, won through in absolutely blistering she fashion today. serious demolition job. Yeah, she's now a player, she's in the category of player that does demolition jobs yeah. in the early rounds of, of slams. Yeah. And Azarenka... I mean, I think we were just about expecting Azarenka to get the better of Ostapenko today, but Matt, hit me with your stat. This is, this is I mean, it deserves a drum roll, but I haven't got the means <laughs> means to produce that. But Yes, Ostapenko's French Open record by match wins per year, 2015, 0, 2016-0, 2017-7, 2018-0, Talk about efficiency and sort of go big or go home. <laughs> efficiency is the best possible thing <laughs> to put on that pattern. But if you, you'd said if you said to, no, uh, if you'd said to Elena Ostapenko four years ago, Elena, you can have or Alona, as we're yes. supposed to call her, uh, Elena Alona, uh, you can have seven wins at the French Open over the next five years, how would you like them to be distributed? Absolutely. And it's perfectly in keeping with her as this incredibly streaky player who will either be awful, really awful, or incredible and take the racket out of your hand. And that record (laughs) just demonstrates it beautifully. And I think someone replied on Twitter saying that she's never won a doubles match here or a junior match here. So literally, the, the only seven matches that she's won took her to the title. Wouldn't it be fantastic if she, in a weird way, <laughs> never, never wins another match at the it's French Open? It's kind of Open? the opposite, not quite the opposite, because I know Nadal has won a, lost a couple of matches here, but it's sort of the opposite record to Nadal. Yes. Well, yeah. And David, I saw, put on Twitter that it's similar to the question he asked Tim Henman about whether he would rather be really consistent or have sort of one slam like Marin Cilic got. He said, would you swap your career for, for Marin Cilic's? And I think this question was asked in, in 2015, so the year after uh, Marin Cilic won his US Open title. And he said, in a heartbeat, that's yeah. what. Cilic hadn't gone on to reach more Grand Slam finals like he has now, but it just shows that being able to peak just for one week is puts you, it, it elevates you, doesn't it? Her gravestone will say French Open champion. Mm, absolutely. And on that <laughs> bleak bombshell, <laughs> we move on. To, so Azarenka now plays Osaka. That's right. Yeah, and as Osaka didn't know that she was she she was that was sprung on her in press, and she said, "Oh, okay." Um, <laughs> she obviously hadn't looked at the draw. And, and what was her reaction? She said she thinks it's going to be one of the toughest matches she's had this year because uh, she recognises that Azarenka's playing really well and a very different match to the one she had today and has had recently Azarenka had to do her (laughs) on-court post-match interview wearing a a very elaborate poncho 
because the heavens had opened oh. sort of pretty much the moment she finished her match but yet she had you have to stay on court to do this this quick interview in the corner and she I, I, I saw on the screen that she was marching over in what looked like a sort of handmaid's tail <laughs> type <laughs> item is this an opportunity for us to cover outfits Matt because since oh, possibly. since Turdgate we haven't we haven't updated people on the other monstrosities that have been <laughs> circulating the courts at, uh, at Roland Garros this year. Kyle Edmonds. I don't mind it. I don't mind it as a thing. But on Kyle Edmonds. I just don't think it's very Kyle Edmonds. I mean, it's a sort of, sort of floral top. I think. I okay. don't think Kyle Edmonds thinks it's very Kyle Edmonds either, though, does he? Because. He was asked about it and he said... Well, yeah, well, he ended up talking about the French Revolution in press, which I don't think was an avenue he intended to go down. Uh, but that was where we found ourselves. Yeah, the French Revolution, which my French... Obviously, 1789, my French teacher said, if you want to get into any apartment block in Paris and it's got a code, just type in some combination of 1789 and you will get in. So I've always, I've always kept that in mind whenever I'm in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> kept that in mind for the purposes of breaking and entering whenever the need might arise um yeah my my feelings on kyle edmund's outfit and if you haven't seen it just just find yourself a computer and have a look at it or watch the eurosport coverage um it is a floral top and a sort of polka dot pair of shorts uh, although apparently they're bees or flies or wasps or something rather than polka dots. Um, and apparently they're not flowers, they're sort of skeletons. Mm. And that's the link to the French Revolution. Um, I think that the top would look great on a lot of people, not Kyle Edmund. I think the shorts would look great on a lot of people, not Kyle Edmund. I think the combination of the two would look good on nobody. Yeah, agreed. But I, I do think it's quite nice to have an outfit that does kind of get you interested and make you talk. We do see a lot of very bland outfits and I'm in favour of a little bit of experimentation and something a bit different. Can I just say (laughs) one more thing on Osaka? Um, Yes, please do, Matt. Please do. So another one of the potentially logical reasons why she might have been nervous, she said, and I do think this was a factor, that she said, almost wanting to prove people wrong, I think she has noticed that some people have been saying that she's had a bad year since the Australian Open and she doesn't think she has and I think performing on clay is a big motivation for her to show, look, I'm, I am backing up the Australian Open, no matter what anyone else says, I am and she, the best way to be able to demonstrate that would be having a run here You're just sort of further convincing me that Naomi Osaka might win the French Open because I think defiance is so often a, a trait in tournament winners and isn't it? a chip on the shoulder of some sort is a is a, a very potent motivator and I think coming through a match like this for her is really significant because we saw that in Melbourne when she beat Shea Suwei in a match where she was in all sorts of bother she somehow managed to figure it out and then produced brilliant tennis for the rest of the tournament and I asked her impress about that match and I said does a performance like this where you're not playing well almost make you feel a bit invincible was this just you and Naomi having a chat well it it was me Naomi and a lot of people (laughs) and because the 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 travelling Japanese press pack is huge. Unreal, with yeah. For Osaka and Nishikori especially, and Taro Daniel, who is not doing so well at the moment against uh, Gael Morfis. He's enjoying the Parisian sunset, yeah. But 
I just thought, so she said, no, it doesn't make me feel invincible, but it does give me a lot of hope for when I am playing better because she knows that she can win when she's playing like this and what, what is she going to be able to do when she's playing well? Okay, so Naomi Saka's going to win the French <laughs> Open despite the fact that none of us have predicted her to do that. I changed my mind at the persuasion of Simon Briggs at the last minute and went for Pliskova. You went for Halep. Um, she got embroiled in a three-setter today, Matt. Yeah, didn't see a huge amount of it because other things were going on. But, yeah, I was a bit worried for my prediction when she <laughs> did after, when she was pushed into a third set. Then she got a crucial break at the start of the third, and I think that was very, very important. And the bits I did see, I thought she was playing, playing OK, but I think Tomjanovic really, really did play well. Interesting comparisons. I mean, also lots of non-comparisons. But in terms of what Naomi Osaka was saying there in press about the the sort of desire to prove people wrong and and her feeling that she has had a good year in spite of people's perceptions of it. Sasha Zverev, Alexander Zverev, said very similar things in press today. He says, "I'm kind of getting bored of this narrative about the bad year I'm having." And he did a bit of a Nadal. He mentioned the race. He said, "Where am I in the race?" <laughs> And, and there was a sort of silence in the room where people pondered whether or not that was a rhetorical question. And he went, well, I'm in the top 10 in the race, which I kind of felt like, but yeah, yeah, but you're the guy that's always telling us that you're a future world number one. Yeah, and so, you won the ATP finals yeah, last year. So I know, because you've told us, that being top 10 in the race isn't good enough by your standards. So don't try and fool me with being top 10 in the race. And if the year ended now, he wouldn't be at the ATP finals defending his title. So yeah, he, I mean, which he, 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 has, he wouldn't be telling us that was a good year. He has had a, a year below expectations. And I do also wonder how many of those 250 points he just won in Geneva have catapulted him up the race a little bit. I reckon he will have moved. suddenly he's banging on about the race. Yeah, he wasn't (laughs) a week ago when he was, I don't know, 16th, 17th or whatever. He got himself in a really tight spot against John Millman today. Ended up in five sets, well over four hours. Um, Look, he won through it. He really battled, he really fought. This is a guy that has looked flat and perhaps lacking in fight at times this year so there are there are positive signs in that respect but tennis wise Matt what What was he doing (laughs) what was he doing he has become this six foot six inch counterpuncture he has weapons why isn't he using them he's getting is it just confidence is it just confidence because it seems so obvious yeah, I think it probably is confidence. I think even I saw a little bit of him in Geneva last week, and he was doing it then as well, even when he was winning that title. And it's just not going... He's going to scrape through matches like this, but he's not going to cause any damage if he keeps playing like this, because for one, he'll knacker himself out. Which is what he did last, last year, year, when he was playing really well. Mm. And perhaps he would have gone further than that quarterfinal had he not exhausted himself. So this year, when he doesn't have the form and confidence coming in, <laughs> to, to I mean, I was surprised at how chipper he was after that victory. He said yes to coming to the Eurosport studio, which I wasn't expecting <laughs> him to do. So he's pretty chipper when he got there. I'm sure the the relationship he has with with Boris Becker, which I believe is a really close one, actually. I think they're sort of always on the phone to one another. I'm sure that was a factor. But I was expecting him to be, for a guy that thinks he should be winning these Grand Slam titles, getting taken to five sets and four-plus hours, 
probably an unnecessary five sets, really, with all due respect to, to John Millman, in the first round. You should be pretty annoyed about that. I mean, I can imagine Ivan Lendl saying, no, mate, that's not, you know, that's not the plan here. The plan is Grand Slam champions generally tend to get the job done early and conserve themselves in, in the early rounds. But Lendl ain't here. No, he is allergic to clay, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> He's developed a recent allergy to the first week of the French Open. That is, that's what we're being told. Yeah, apparently he might be... I think Zverev said he'll definitely be back for Wimbledon, and if he goes deep, then he might come Just back for the second load week. load up on Piriton and, and, and brave the, the pollen. What, what worries me about Zverev, about this sort of ball machine mode that he seems to go into is that he's doing it in really tight moments. And I think tight moments are where you display your true colours, if you like, because that's when your natural instincts kind of kick in and you think, right, I need to take this match now. And he's not. He's just grinding away, pushing the ball back, not taking the initiative. And for a guy who has so much to offer, so much power, it doesn't doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But He, looked, sh- he looked to me out there... Like a guy with all the tools, but that needed a really good coach. Yeah, and, and he's got a really good as, coach. As far as we're being told, he's coached by Ivan Lendl. I don't believe that Ivan Lendl told him to go out there and play like that. So I, I don't, I don't understand the current landscape of Sasha Zverev. No, and we should, we probably should say that we always do give Lendl a lot of credit for his coaching skills. It is. It is possible that, you know, just because it worked with Andy Murray doesn't mean it is going to work with Zverev. Yeah, and of course, as as you've very eloquent made the point made the point before, Andy Murray was an awful lot closer. He just needed that last crucial, but that last tiny push, didn't he? That final last ingredient, yeah. the sprinkle of salt. Zverev needs more than he that. He does. It's a very. He's in a very different place in his career to where. Andy Murray was when Murray brought Lendl on board. And it's a bigger risk, because if it doesn't... If, if Lendl doesn't give him what he needs, where does he go then? Yeah. Well, Boris, now that you've mentioned that... <laughs> but, but I think he's I think he's already getting... Getting stuff from Boris, I he's, see. He's yeah. already tapping the Boris... Yeah. What's whatever the, whatever <laughs> part rich, of Boris needs the to be rich tapped. Seam of, <laughs> the rich seam of Boris... Um, Move me on, Matt. Move well, me on. Just one final comment about Zverev. Obviously, we should say he won credit for him for doing that because it looked like he was going to lose. And even when he's playing badly, his backhand is still a marvel. And I just think John Millman must be having a lot of regrets because there was a short ball approach shot and he could have gone to the Zverev forehand and he went to the Zverev backhand. This was deep in the fifth set. Zverev hit a perfect lob over Millman's head and didn't lose another point after that he then won he then broke Millman's serve and served it out to love and I just think if Millman could have that shot back he would go to Zverev's forehand because Zverev's forehand I, I said maybe it's still in Geneva someone <laughs> someone came back and said I think it's still in 2018 <laughs> which oh. which I thought was a fair point Oh, whatever you do, Sasha Zverev, don't go on Twitter. Um, or do, follow the Tennis Podcast. Yeah. Great content, great content. Del Potro won through in four sets, dropped the first to Nicholas Jarry. No shame in that. Nicholas Jarry 
very good clay court player. Caroline Garcia won through over on Longnen, as did Luca Pui in straight sets. Madison Keys won in two. Can I, can I say on Madison Keys? Yeah. I think we don't talk about Madison Keys enough. I was looking at her record. She's she, reached. She in the mix, man. I think she's in the mix. She is in that top section with Osaka, Sakari, Azarenka, Serena. It's a loaded top section of that women's draw. But she has reached the quarterfinals or better in four of her last six slams, and semifinals here last year. She is very consistent at these slams, and she had a very comfortable win today. That's funny because I don't think of her as consistent. I think of her as. All or nothing. Yeah, but I think she's I think she's consistent at the slams and kind of all or nothing yeah. the rest of the year. And she won Charleston, didn't she? In this year, so yeah. okay. her first clay title. So I'm. We'll revise. We'll I'm revise keeping my opinion. eye on Madison Keys. Fabio Fanini won through. Be keeping an eye on him. Beat Andreas Seppi, which is a we always say that that's a sort of Grand Slam rite of passage. Yeah, beating Andreas Seppi. Yeah. Because TFO did that, didn't he, at the Australian Open this year? Carl Edmund last year when he had his run. Sabalenka won. She did. She beat Sybil Kova. I'm, I'm sad about the fact that that's a thing, Sabalenka winning. Yeah, and that section of the women's draw is incredibly open because Contevate lost in that section and Kvitova had to withdraw at the start of the tournament. Simon so Briggs thought Contevate was in the mix. He did. Next time he's on, we'll have to remind him of that. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So one of these people will reach the quarterfinals. Sabalenka 
Mukova, Anisimova, Kirstea, Stoza, Alexandrova, Begu and Bolsova. So Tell me more about your pronunciation of Mukova, Matt. Much, Muchova? Well, I, I don't know. I'm not correcting you. Oh, I've, I've I don't no, know. But. No. I don't know. Okay. I, I took a shot. <laughs> right, OK. Great. We'll stick with it. It's all about confidence with pronunciations. I've learned that from Greg. Um, who, oh my gosh, I never apologised, did I? I apologised on our social media. You did on media, Instagram. But you did an Instagram story, so it deleted itself within I've, 24 hours. I've set myself up now. Greg, apparently it is Raymond Slaughter, and I send my profuse apologies. Moving on. D- uh, Kazakina won. Kyle Edmund We've only talked about his outfit. Yes. We haven't talked about the fact that he won. Should we do a brick corner? Let's do it. Okay. Kyle Edmund won. He won in positively arctic conditions, as you so it, nicely put it. It was freezing. Yeah. I mean, it was it was like we'd been transported to a different climate to, to what we were in last night at 9.30pm when that match was called off for bad lights at five all in the fifth. Yeah, so it resumed today with this sort of sudden-death type format I was kind of thinking of it as, because you needed to have a fast start, but equally you didn't want to have a fast start and not leave anything in the tank. It was this really fascinating situation. And Carl Edmund, to his immense credit, played it so well. He just didn't miss, and he won eight of the ten points and returned Shardy's serve really well and won the two games that took him into the next round. I don't know where he found the confidence and calm that he had today, but I went out and... Well, first of all, I saw him at breakfast. Well, I was going to say... You've... It was like an eight-course breakfast. <laughs> it was... I mean, he's thoroughly convinced me of the fact that having a full English plus uh, a pan of chocolat is, is, the, is the way to achieve great things. Uh, in your day because uh, that's what he was dining on for breakfast today and and boy did that work out for him um, but uh, then I also went out to watch his practice on court number one this morning that was I was out there around about 10 a.m and uh, I just I watched him and I thought oh he's gonna win this oh, really? I really and I thought I felt like he had a hundred percent confidence in it while well. he signed every autograph it was this I, I usually my anxiety radar goes off against Kyle Edmund. Mm. I sort of, I sense a fellow <laughs> anxiety-ridden person. Um, and I didn't today. I felt like he had sort of created this um, bubble around him or something. I don't know, like he'd hypnotised himself. I just suddenly f- suddenly felt like, oh, it's fine, he's got this. That's fascinating because I agree, he does seem like an anxious person. And this was a situation where you would think that anxiety would come out, having to sleep Absolutely. on that on that match. And yeah, he he played so well in those, albeit ten points. But he handled the situation a lot better than Jeremy Shardy. He said he felt like it was really significant that he was serving first, that he got to put the pressure right back on, right back on Jeremy Shardy. But yeah, I was I was so impressed with him today, and I I really hope he can carry that through. He's got Quavas next, which is. Tricky, I think, really tricky. Yeah, he's got it. He's in a section of the draw with some very experienced clay quarters. Because even if he gets through that, it's probably Dominic Team after that. So Eesh. it's a brutal section. I and I hadn't even considered his section because I thought <laughs> I thought he would so probably I. lose to Shardy. Apologies, Kyle. Um, Dan Evans lost in four plucky sets to Fernando Vidasco, which I think is a really good showing. He uh, is still in the doubles alongside Cam Norrie, who. Did not put on a plucky showing. I mean, 
he he lost in 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 three sets to somebody who a Frenchman called Ben Trichet. Ben Bentrishy yeah, sheet. Apparently, we're pronouncing that final T, which which goes against what we learnt. Yeah, it goes against ev- everything I prepared for for my in my university French oral. Matt, shudder. Um, yeah, it, it was. Uh, I said to you, I think, and I, I don't want to be. Uh, well, no, actually, I don't think there's any way not to be harsh on Caminari for this because it's really rare you see a, a top 100 player play that badly ever I think it was awful it was a horror show he he couldn't find the court and he said that didn't he he said I just couldn't play today and but what was a bit frustrating was that he didn't really want to engage in an analysis of the match he, he basically said I wasn't playing well but my opponent played really well and he did play well as opponent French qualifier played well but he didn't play Six three six love six two well against Cameron Norrie, who is a you know kind of established top sixty top fifty player now, and it was a really really bad performance. And I thought, given that he could have been facing Nick Kyrgios in the first round, it was such an opportunity. But we kind of thought he probably he, he batted the question away in press about whether he would rather play Nick Kyrgios. But but it can't have gone any worse. It can't have gone any worse, and I think it would have suited his personality a bit more than being the favourite in in that match yeah I think I mean when I asked him about it on this was before he he knew he was re- replacing uh, Nick Kyrgios in the draw but I asked him about it and he said yeah that's a shame I, I would have liked to play Kyrgios I was looking forward to to getting on a decent court so but I mean he'd had a couple of days to get over it and uh, by that point I just I don't know whether the best thing with it with a performance that horrifying is to just treat it as a an incident in a vacuum and move on straight away or whether that's actually really unhealthy and you need to deeply analyse it to to ensure that it never happens again I, I I don't know I know that his parents were watching today and they they live in New Zealand they barely ever get the chance to watch him play and that just makes me my, sad yeah breaks my heart a little bit any other we need to we need to wrap this up because I've spent far too long uh, going down avenues that I should never have embarked upon Matt uh, any other notable results the one of the world's oldest tennis matches happened today between yes the seventh oldest the seventh oldest in Grand Slam open era history yes, I think 77 years 363 days and won by the elder of the two yeah, players 40 year old Ivo Karlovic beating 37 year old Feliciano Lopez in a match that took a while <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was kind of cruel that they were playing for so long but I mean if Karlovic sticks around which we think he will with that serve he could if he plays Federer in two or three years' time, if Federer's still going, they could get that record. Rather than just be the seventh, I reckon that's something Karlovic could aim for the now. geriatric tennis records yes. are falling. <laughs> as well like as all every, the serving records. I feel like every time he plays, I'm reporting on some kind of geriatric tennis record being broken. Uh, just very quickly, um, we should probably touch on Jamie Murray-Bruno Suarez, lost in the first round today 
that will be the end of their partnership. That's the last match they'll ever play. They lost to Berrettini, Sonego, uh, the unseeded Italian pairing. Suarez is now going to team up with Matej Pavic and Jamie Murray is going to team up with Neil Skubski. He's confirmed that that's a relationship they've agreed for, for the remainder of the year. I don't know what's going to happen to Ken Skubski. <laughs> it feels a bit Millibandy, doesn't it? Yes. That, uh, that chain of events. But um, it... It seems from the quotes that I've read that it was Jamie's decision, although Bruno, being the lovely chap that he is, is very accepting of it. Um, they've had some great successes together, mostly sort of front-ended in their relationship, although they've had plenty of, albeit slightly less significant, they haven't won a Grand Slam since their first 12 months together, but it's been a very successful partnership, but... Um, yeah, obviously run its course. Well, am I right in saying that it got them both their first slam? Yes. I think they were both... They'd in both been kind men's of... Men's doubles. They'd in both men's won, doubles. Yeah, mixed, yeah. They'd both been knocking on the door with previous partners, and you might have thought that if they both wanted to win a slam, they would have wanted to team up with someone who'd already won a men's doubles slam. But as it turned out, they forged a really successful pairing, as you said, a couple of slams, number one in the world. But it did kind of feel like... It was this was coming with the sort of sliding results that we've seen this year. Yeah, it did. It make it. It's something about it makes me a bit sad. And the fact that it's happening mid-season, yeah. it, it doesn't. You don't get a proper send-off, you know, out in first round of the French Open. It's a shame that it's that it's happened like that. Yeah, yeah. But we wish both of them well with their new partners. Interesting that they've both paired up with with players significantly younger than them. Jamie Murray's 33. Bruno Suarez, I checked today, he's 37. Is he? Yeah, so so maybe it is time for them to sort of <laughs> aggregate out their, yes. their ages yeah. um, a bit but to to increase the longevity of their careers because if Ivo Karlovic can keep playing singles till he's 40, then those two can press on for goodness knows how long yeah well i suppose the bryans are both yeah 41 so they're they haven't opted for a younger model to you know go alongside but my interpretation is that jamie is just desperate to win wimbledon yeah desperate to win men's doubles at wimbledon he thinks it's more likely to happen if he makes a change than if he sticks with bruno and he's willing he wants it so much he's willing to gamble i could be wrong but um and why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he be desperate to win Wimbledon? Yeah, that's, that's my interpretation. Order plate for tomorrow features 11-time champion Rafael Nadal on Longland. Do we think that's OK? He's on Longland and Kuzmova's on Philippe <laughs> Chetrier. Um, He's made way for the up-and-coming Kuzmova. Indeed. And, yeah, Federer takes his spot on Chetrier. Let's see if let's see if Federer gets a long match later on in the tournament. I don't, I don't think he will. I'm putting it out there okay. because I think they think he's it's probably his last year here, yeah. or could be his last year here, and therefore they don't want to risk him going out on long then, like he did on court one at Wimbledon last and year. That's like and his last loss here was on. Longland. His quarterfinal loss to Wawrinka in 2015 was on Longland. Yeah. I, d- I just don't think they'll risk that. But it, yeah, will be interesting. To, I mean, to be an 11-time champion. I'm, I'm all for equity in scheduling, but that, yeah. And I must say, fair play to the French Open this year because I've, I've been doing some research into scheduling about 
discrepancy of matches, men's and women's matches on the show courts. And every day so far, it's been two and two on Chetre Longland and Simon Mathieu, and possibly even on court one as well. I agree, and I think that's a really key point, particularly in regards to tomorrow, because they surely must have been... The only way they could have got Nadal onto Chatre would probably have been to have sacrificed a women's match yeah. for it because in all honesty, you know, a level time champion Nadal is probably more Chatre worthy than than Sloane Stevens. Yes, a finalist last year, she takes on uh Sara Cerebes Tormo or sorry Matt Kuzmova <laughs> no <laughs> against Kiki Burns. But they've decided it's more important to have those to have the equity um in scheduling and I think that's fantastic and I, I agree with them that you have to have Nishikori Songa on Chatre. I mean what a second round match that is let's just hope Chatre doesn't fall apart like it did the last time they played which was when I think <laughs> when it, you were in the stands I was Matt. fortunately over the other side but I think was it the pigeon screen or something fell down onto the crowd something fell yeah and there was a big delay in the match so fingers crossed the new Chatre holds firm Roger Federer takes on someone called Otter he does <laughs> Oliver Otter. It's a great name. Let's wrap this roadshow up. We've been the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph, uh, with our executive producers, TennisBalls.com, with Rio with a Y, our official lovely mascot. Tell your friends about the Tennis Podcast if you like it. If you don't, then... Why have you made it this far? <laughs> um, but if you have, then tell your friends. And uh, yeah, we're delighted you're listening. We're enjoying doing the daily podcasts and we'll be back tomorrow. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.